in the Grotto Pod. Yep. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget is in the Grotto Pod. We are both here in the Grotto Pod. Larry. Yeah. It's still smoky. It is still smoky. It stopped being smoky for a couple days, and I wake up this morning. Yep. Promised 58 degrees, instead 70. <gasps> Who promised that? Weathermen. Oh. I hate those weathermen. And smoky. But we have a guest today. Yeah. Who I'm sure will have her own problems with this sort of weather in October because she's from New England. Yes, but this is not what I would thought you were going to say. Oh, because of her Chinese thing. <laughs> yeah, because bad, bad. People keep saying the air quality like in Shanghai. San Francisco is like Beijing. I'll whatever. tell you, these people walking around with masks, I feel like it's the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, for sure. We need to say, though, that it's Caitlin Salamini who's coming. I was coming. just going to try to say her name. Oh. Caitlin Salamini. Yeah, I had to ask how to say it, even though I've known Caitlin for you know quite some time I'm now. I'm glad you did, because I would have mispronounced it. Caitlin is the author of Empire of Glass, which, by the way, I brought the copy for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, which has been short... That's my copy, I just want to point I out. I figured, yeah. yeah. Which, which has been shortlisted at yes. the Center for Fiction's First Novel Award. Yeah, first novel prize, prize or award, whatever. Right. But uh, total total shock to her. Like, how psyched would you be to have your book come out and then just find out that you are shortlisted for the uh, first novel prize? Yes. But here's the thing about the grotto. I yeah. know. You're not surprised. I met. I am not surprised. Yeah. But I met Caitlin Solomini. Yeah. A couple times. I thought, oh. She talked about, I'm a new mom. I said, all right, this is this new mom. She's probably, yeah. you know, struggling, whatever, like the rest of us. Right. Got I, a, I got a book coming out. Two yeah. sentences put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a book coming out, hoping for the best. Yeah. Well, then I start, you know, then I see book <laughs> well-received, and I start yeah. doing the research, like, oh, okay. It's like that. that. Harvard, you know, uh, Harvard Yenching scholar, Fulbright creative fellow. Uh, what else? Grotto fellow. Grotto Fellow, that's a big deal. 2016, published all over the place, founder of Hippo Reads, which is TED Talks for Readers. How I, cool I spent is that? a little time there last yeah. night. So, this is a thing about the Grotto, uh, actually co founder with Anna Redmond. I don't want to, you know, yeah, yeah, don't short, 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 short change old yeah. uh, Anna. Uh, this is the thing about the Grotto is you meet all these people. And I guess it's a two-way sort of thing. You meet these people, and they're just regular people, and they're just right. hanging out, and they're complaining about money like everyone does. <laughs> real estate? <laughs> yeah, real estate, money. Uh, parking. Parking. It's the normal summer, even sports fans. Tech bros. Yeah, they hate, of course, they hate tech bros. <laughs> <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> on eating food. But then you do your due diligence. You do your Googling. And what did I tell you yesterday? I don't remember. Oh, with, with Googling? great Googling comes yeah. great responsibility. I almost remembered. Yeah. Mostly. Uh, you do your Google uh, due diligence and you realize, oh, wow, I am among studs. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, what's really crazy is when you have known someone for a long time and you have a picture of who they are mm. and then you... Do you do mean th- you know of them by reputation? No, like here at the Grotto. Oh, like, right, like, right. Oh, that's the person I always eat salad. Like, are they... Whatever, <laughs> I just have no... Right. I haven't built a picture around them necessarily. And then I find out, oh, they have five books, three of them bestsellers. Right. Um, blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Was the first person to interview whoever. Like, it's... It's it's it um, demystifies it. Yeah, it's both inspiring and in, a little yeah. bit. Um, uh, what's the word? Like it just levels the playing field. I, feel like I, I feel think like it works on every level. I'm opening the door because I think Caitlin might be on the other side of it. Oh, this will be a first a live real time Grotto Pod. Hi, Caitlin. There's Caitlin now. Um, <laughs> Caitlin, can you give us five? <laughs> Caitlin poked her head into the Grotto Pod. <laughs> 
and <laughs> send laughing. her away. And we're like, no, we're not ready for you yet. First guest actually sent away. <laughs> well, we're coming for you momentarily. Yeah. Good. Just give us a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, real time. I'm not going to say what she just mouthed to me. Oh, really? Was it bad or good? No, it's where she's going. Oh. Briefly. Oh. Okay. Because, you know. As we were just saying, grotto people, real people. They're real people, yeah, just like you and me. Uh, Caitlin's novel. Yeah, Empire of Glass. Empire of Glass. Uh, it, it, there's a lot interesting about the conceit of this novel. I cannot imagine handling the levels of complexity. Right, right. Right. Uh, it's set in China. Yeah, someplace specific, it but I don't know. It is a novel within a novel. Yes. It is told from the point of view of... Well, I guess she's not an elderly Chinese woman because at the time she's young. But it's, there's many things going on. There are it's like so a box many a box. cultural leaps yeah. that needed to happen in order for her to write this very successful and well-received novel. It's worth saying that Caitlin lived in China, is fluent in, I believe, Mandarin. Mandarin, yeah. Um, and, yeah, knows what she's knows the world she's writing and, about. And I, and I think, and I really want to get to this early on when she gets back from wherever she went. Yeah. Uh, when we sent her away. Yeah. Uh, that her, you know, the, the seeds of this were really no different than happened to a lot of people. She was an exchange student in high school. I, th- I thought about this myself. So was I. Because you were an exchange yep. student in high school. But it seems like it was the defining experience. Actually, maybe that's all right. Not defining experience for life, but it was a catalyst for a yeah. lot of changes. I think it was for me, too. I think, but imagine, I went to Norway. Imagine if you went somewhere so different. Yeah. So culturally different, so much a world away, especially then when there wasn't really the internet in the same way. There wasn't 1996 the same. was when yeah. she was gone. So, um, but also. She was 16 in 1996. I know. I was married already. <laughs> That's it. I quit. I'm out of here. I was younger than you. <sighs> yeah, you're still younger than me. Thanks for the reminder. That's awesome. About that. So uh, let's assume Caitlin's wrapped up whatever it was she was going to do. Okay. And uh, let's give her a second chance to come into the Grotto Pot. How's that sound? Make a grand entrance. Yeah, yeah. But this time we won't record it. She'll just be here. Okay, yeah. Ooh, magic. Yeah, cool. Uh, she's stealthy. Yeah, no, she scared me. I jumped. <laughs> scared you twice. She, she snuck in. I had no idea. Uh, Caitlin. <laughs> Let me take this opportunity to pronounce your last name correctly, Solomini. That like actually sounds better than I could even say. Oh, really? It. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a little bit of an amateur linguist. <laughs> Are you really? Uh, here's what I want to know. <laughs> I'm like Caitlin. <laughs> Given that it's 76 degrees and smoky in the middle of October, does it make you upset as a New Englander or nostalgic <laughs> for the time you lived in China? Um, it does. I, I wouldn't say it makes me nostalgic, but uh, it definitely smells like China. Although I was speaking, so my daughter has a Chinese nanny as well. So I'm trying to speak Chinese to her and um, my nanny doesn't speak any English. And she, I said, it smells like China, doesn't it? And she said, yes. And she said, I didn't realize this, that in China, um, so many people burn in the countryside are just burning trash. Right. And so I think there's just this perpetual... <laughs> burnt So it's object. not just no. Beijing. Correct. Oh, people yes. keep saying no, 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 that the no. that the air quality is as bad in San Francisco right now as in Beijing. Right, right. but actually there are Chinese cities where it's a lot worse yeah, than Shanghai Beijing. Yeah, that Shanghai was worse. No, Shanghai is better. Mm-hmm. Shanghai generally is better. They're Lord. on the coast, so they I think it clears oh, out okay. a little bit, and they don't might not have as much. I think it also has to do it has to do with geography and just sort of right. You know how how it sucks. Weather patterns yeah. happen, but also the concentration of different 
you know, factory corridors and things like that. Yeah, Holy so, moly. But there, there are cities like Datong in China, which is apparently one of the worst. There are, you know, kind of cities that you don't Does it impact people's hear. lifespan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think lung cancer, yeah. I don't know the specific data, but I know that lung cancer That's rates so are much sad. higher. I remember I growing been. up, so I moved to Southern California in 1976, mm. and I remember reading, they said, growing up in Southern California is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. I was like, great, and my parents smoke, so I'm hosed. <laughs> but somehow they clean up the air down there. Yeah, it's and L.A. too. It, it yeah. can still happen. I have a lot of hope for humanity when we put our mind to things, but Is I don't see late? a lot of minds at work at the moment. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> At any rate, that's not the case with Caitlin, whose mind is, is very sharp, despite uh, all the exposure to right smoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do want to get into that, the, the, the sort of juggling act you're doing right now. Sure. But before that, um, you know what, let's go back to, to, I would say, just, you know, what small research I've done on you, the event that sort of shaped your career path, which was spending a year in China mm-hmm. as a high school exchange student. six months. Uh, yeah, it was. It was only six months. It was a like a semester. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. It was, wow. Yeah. Know, so many amazing? people do this. Yeah. And come back. Maybe they're smoking cigarettes, but other than that, <laughs> they're the same. But for you, it really changed your path. So what? Yeah. I want to know. So what? You're from New England, but yeah. what? Why? Why China? Why China? Huh. Yeah. Thank you for being so succinct. <laughs> taking that was off. I'm sweating. Actually, yeah, it is hot in here. Yeah. Oh, it's going to get worse. <laughs> you were warned. I know. Oh, no. I was sweating before you. I sent an in. email to Caitlin last night that said dress light, and then I immediately sent a text to Bridget. Is that sexual harassment? I actually was wondering. That. <laughs> like, great. Here we go. I I, like, I I know what he's saying, but I think this could be misinterpreted. <laughs> That's why. Thank you. Bear me out here. I did a follow up email. I said word. <laughs> Our last guest came in wearing an orange sport coat and a oof, tie, oof. and then gradually during the course of the podcast, yeah. peeled yeah, off several layers until he was unbuttoned to here and sweating. And <laughs> I well, hope that doesn't happen to you, Caitlin. No, well, I don't have anything to take off at this point. So, <laughs> um, but but chi- uh, China was actually um, was sort of a happenstance thing because I was. Going to high school, and I was lucky enough that a prep school was basically in my backyard, and I applied, and I got in, and I was a day student. I, at the time, wanted to study Japanese, so I was a mm. freshman in high school. This was 1994 Stop. Oh, you know, we already went, that you're super young. We, we got that. we already married at that yeah. point. Not to each other, no. <laughs> okay. no. <laughs> okay. Let it be noted. <laughs> so we're all old. Um, but uh, so it was a long time ago, and Japan was the hot. Oh, it was the hot ticket. Yeah, right. So everyone wanted to study Japanese, yeah. and I thought, I don't know why, naively as like a 13-year-old, I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to go into international business. It sounded really sexy. Yeah. Really, I did not do that. But um, But, but wait a minute. Back mm -hmm. up here. What was your cultural (laughs) intersection with Japan? Were you like a Pokemon? Dude, it was the 90s. It was was just Japan was big. Yeah, through the 80s. Exactly. Through the 80s into the 90s. No, not even. It was just Japan was, was, if you wanted to learn a language and that was offered, it seemed like, okay, Spanish, French, you know, those those Um, were great. But but Japanese seemed interesting. Giant safety pin. Learning Japanese. <laughs> so I didn't. Um, oh, so so that I, I I you know asked to kind of enroll in the class, but it was full. And of course, you know, being uh, New England, they were like, oh well, other Asian language is Chinese. Why don't you just take Chinese? That's not full. 
Which and you're is like, so okay, from what would be na- right from now. I mean, I had <laughs> never left. So I had left New England, you know, just a few times in my life. And which never, part of New England is this? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So, I took Chinese and then loved wow. it. Loved my really connected with my teacher. That's and then awesome. she told me of this um, study abroad homestay program, which was the first to offer homestay possibilities in China for high schoolers. Um, it wasn't common then at all. So um, I applied and I got in. I felt like I won the lottery when I got in. I still remember the day. I was like, oh my God, I'm getting out. (laughs) I'm going to China. And then how many flights later? I think it was one, two, or no, one, two. We could, there were no directs to China, even from San Francisco at the time. So you had to go through Tokyo or Hong Kong or something. Um, And then that was it. And and, but, wow, Kismet. I mean, what if you had taken that Japanese I class? I still wonder that. You'd probably be an international oh, business. You know how, <laughs> like, I studied French for all four years of college, passed French exams to go to grad school, and still mm. can't speak French. Mm. So you went to, you studied Chinese in high school, and then were a mm. homestay student. Mm. Could you understand Chinese mm. when you got there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um Yes, you know, as much as one could probably. Right. That. I mean, that's amazing. But, but it got a lot better because my right. family, um, my parents that I was living, my host parents did not speak any English. That's really. key. So, do you yeah, have an yeah. ear for languages? Um, I guess probably. Do I do like others? languages. Um, poorly French and Spanish, but that's it. Yeah, not not well at all. So, what was it that really clicked for you? Actually, two two part. Yeah. What was it that clicked? Was it the warmth of the family? Because you write eloquently mm-hmm. about the family and yeah. how they basically said, we're your family. Mm-hmm. Or the culture. And how long did it take when mm-hmm. you got after you got there before you thought, oh, this is it? Uh, it took a little while, for sure. I mean, I was very homesick at the beginning. But I'll this bet. was, again, this was pre-internet and email. Yeah. And so I mean, we were writing. I have boxes of letters that I wrote to my friends, and they wrote to me, and my family wrote to each other. You know, On was, that little thin paper? Yeah, I know. So it's cheap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And all the stamps. Oh, yeah. My mom had a phone card. You know, you'd have to like dial in the number to make an international call. We talked maybe once a week, and that was a really big deal. With a 20 second delay. Yeah. (laughs) I I just have to say that I was an exchange student in high school, and my parents were so cheap. I was gone for a year and had one phone call that whole time. That's all right. That's the way it was. But not damaged at all. Oh, I was psyched (laughs) (laughs) at the time. You were writing letters. There was no community. You just almost like out there. Yeah, almost on. But it's such a different, it's impossible to explain to people now how much you could be alone in the world in a great way, actually, to invent yourself, Mm -hmm. to have your own experience. Mm -hmm. So sorry to interrupt, but no, and to have done that. I mean, I was 16, right? Yeah. So that's such a, I think so much of what happens to us at that age, whatever it is, becomes pivotal and meaningful. And six months at 16 is 16 years. Yeah, at at 50. Right, right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, oh my God, I'm away from my boyfriend. (laughs) I'm going to die. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, yeah, it was, it was, I think it was all of that, all of that coupled with a family that really I connected with um, really quickly and really deeply. And China, Beijing at the time was so different too than what it is now in that we bicycled everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was one skyscraper. Wow. That's it. So it felt really, um, in fact, people would talk about how this really like village feel. It's been um, really westernized since then. Yes, yeah. So it felt, like you said, I mean, it was really. Um, we were, I felt out there. I felt like I was, I was really challenging myself too, in terms of being a foreigner. And I really enjoyed 
that feeling of every day having to confront that and, and having to confront different, you know, cultural nuances or and you're blonde. Yes. And you're blonde. So and there's exactly not really what they were expecting. not really any way to hide mm, your no. foreignness. No. And I think did I read you you had said you deliberately shunned the other expats? I not I mean at that time as a kid, you know, I was with other students who were Americans mm. and and you know, we hung around a lot. But then after later, I mean, when I was living there, there there is a really strong expat culture and it's a really meaningful one. Um and especially for journalists too. I mean, that's a really strong culture in in China specifically and there are a lot of great writers who have come out of that kind of that group or that tribe, but um when I was living there in college, I I didn't I, I did have a lot of expat friends, but I also wanted to. I was studying at a local Chinese university, mm-hmm. so I wanted to you know have friends and engage Immerse. with other students that you know were my peers, um, and that was that was nice. Um, you know, I think that was it was important because there's as, as you know living abroad. I mean, there's just this easy, especially, I don't know if it's worse now with technology and the way that people can interact or connect that it's harder than to even have those meaningful intimate connections Mm -hmm. cross-culturally versus, you know, what maybe could have happened without the interference of being able to be pulled back to the home culture. Well, sure, you could have been texting your boyfriend back in the States all the time. Right, right, right. And living a kind of other life <laughs> and never really being where you were. Mm. Right. Mm. It's I easier think, than ever to travel the world and never actually set foot in it. Right. Can you imagine, though, like, I mean, Instagram, what that would be like to be a teenager and, like, just constantly um, kind of parading that experience externally rather than just owning it yourself and, I, and processing it? I will go so far as to say that I think one of the things that made me a writer, in fact, I don't mm-hmm. think, I know, was living abroad mm-hmm. and standing apart from my experience mm-hmm. and observing it as an other the mm-hmm. whole time right. and having no place to put it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have Instagram, mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. have, and I wasn't writing letters. Mm-hmm. And well. you had that even more so, I would imagine. But it, it what can, do you mean? As being an other where you're really a Westerner in a culture. I mean, I was in Norway right. where I passed in. as Norwegian. Right. No right. one knew until right. I opened my mouth. Right. Um, whereas a, people I would imagine would be saying to you, hey, who are you? What's going on? Mm-hmm. How are you here? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't but know. But it's more than, than that. No, I mean, once you, you're in that situation and you have Instagram, now you're, you're a performer. You're performing yes. for your friends. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. no longer really just right. having the experience for right. yourself. You're having it. The experience has no meaning unless your friends right. get to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of messed up. Yeah. No, I loved coming back from that experience. And I had missed what felt like, like you said, Mm -hmm. felt like Mm -hmm. years of cultural experience. Like I remember Jerry Maguire came out. I don't know why that was such a big deal. But like (laughs) all my friends could like quote from the movie or, you know, there was music that had come Uh, out that I didn't know. I had no idea what the song was. And they're like, you don't know the song. You were so snarky about it, you know, like, and you're like, I'm sorry, I've lived alone abroad. (laughs) I wasn't shaving my legs. I was like having that moment, my armpits. Well, how did you feel about how... The social life of your school had gone on without you. And then you came back and you had missed all these parties and all these right, developments right. and people had broken up with people and there were new friends. What was that like jumping back into that? I think it just made me recognize how grateful I was that I'd had it for sure. I felt mm. older. I felt like, okay, I'm ready to go to college now. <laughs> you know, mm. Definitely. I was a junior and I was like, no, I don't even want senior year. I just, I want to go, I want, or I want to just 
go. I want to go into the world. I felt kind of too sheltered and, and, and held back. What did you end up studying in college? East Asian studies. So, so you did Chinese and so, so when mostly you got history back, culture. <clears throat> were you aware of the enormity of the impact of this trip on you yes. while it was happening? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you yeah. knew this is it. I'm no longer international business. <laughs> so how does that become? I mean, you're not just a writer, you're a novelist. That's mm. a real, uh, you know, dedication to craft. That's a mm. really specific way of being a writer that you took mm. a while to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did that happen? Yeah. Thankfully, actually, I'm grateful that it did take me a while because I think um, it really made me uh, examine the what was the best form for me or what I, I wanted to work within. And, and it wasn't like, um, oh, I'm going to study English literature in college and right. and I want to be a writer. But I felt like it was more that I had something I wanted to write about and I had experiences that I wanted to, to examine. And I had actually started um, – so what happened was – I went back to China many times, you know, I was living there after college, et cetera. And then um, when I was back in the States, I was doing a master's degree in East Asian studies and then learned of the Fulbright Fellowship. So I thought, well, this is a nice way to get back and to sort of think about what would I want to research if I had the ability to do that for a year. Yeah, where was um, East Asian studies going for you initially? <laughs> well, so the problem with an East Asian studies degree is it's... It's huge. It's really... It's, it's, it's really it sounds yeah. so huge. Yeah. That's it's like a third of the world. Exactly. You and it's psyched? <laughs> well, again, my father wanted me to go into international business. <laughs> oh. Well, because now China... I was going to say, I, I, I could yeah. see that being your ticket, like right. fluent yeah. Mandarin right. speaker. Right. Come on. Right. Um, I was approached by the CIA um, to go to work for them, which sounds really sexy, but really involves translating newspapers for two years in D.C. I was going to say, sitting in a basement and like. Well, that explains the stealthy entrances. But (laughs) Uh how does the CIA approach you? Do you know it's the CIA? How do they say we're CIA? No, I don't. I think it was. Whatever. What would it be that at a, that point the department was You know, no. It's like you got <laughs> an e- you got an email. I think they were probably approaching any students coming out of certain mm. programs. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and they said, "Here are opportunities within these departments and the government." Uh, I don't know if they explained. I mean, it was clear that it was yeah. going that route. Yeah. But it started, and I had an initial interview, and they said, "You know, this is." I said, "Well, what would it involve?" And they said, "Well, it will involve translating newspapers." And D- living in DC, and I that's was pretty like, dry. Oh, What's no. bizarre about that to me is, aren't there just so many Mandarin speakers in America that could do that at why, the time? Were they a new uh, graduate? I don't know. Oh. Would there have been? Well, I mean, yeah, maybe I not Americans, but I mean, like, just look at San Francisco. Well, they probably wanted non-Asian looking. That's the CIA right, part, right? right okay, right. right. Uh, so it was it, like, it. okay, you don't, you don't look like you would speak Chinese, right? So I guess it's just the translating newspaper part is the part that threw me. Well, as yeah, far as you they, know, you would have been translating. Well, true, and they right. probably just wanted to enhance your fluency and improve I see. your I see. And sure. ability to understand what's happening yeah. in China yeah, 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 through yeah. Got media it. and so many roads. I know. I know. I know. And here I am. Just there is a novel in that. There is a novel in that. But this novel. uh, (laughs) Don't tell my dad about that. This novel. (laughs) So all. So instead, you became a journalist. Of sorts. (laughs) (laughs) Explain. So no. So the Fulbright was my sort of re-engagement with China through writing, and I knew I wanted to research the history of my family because they had 
sort of involved me in, in certain things along the way. And, and when you say your family, you mean your host, host family. family. Your host family. Yes. Um, and, but, and when you when you decide you want to do something like that, is, is there any thought of, of commercial value in that? Or is it just like, this seems interesting. I want to do it. I think it was just this seems interesting from an academic perspective mm-hmm. and a personal you know, perspective as well. Again, I was, I knew I wanted to write. So I think mm-hmm. out of all of that, I just didn't know, um, you know, I had never taken writing classes. So I really didn't even know what that meant. I just knew I wanted to write about this experience. So I applied for the Fulbright um, and it was the first time I'd ever shown anyone my, any sort of creative writing. Were or, you nervous? Wow, exciting. Um, yeah. It and, was, and nerve wracking. Yeah. So then once I got that, I kind of felt like a stamp of approval. In For a sense. sure. Like, okay, maybe someone yeah. who's, you know, maybe they think I can do this. Okay, maybe I can do this. So then I went back and I did this research. But as I was doing it, I realized that, well, at the time, at least, I thought that I couldn't write it in a nonfiction format, which was really naive, actually, now looking back on it. I think I absolutely could have. I could have mm-hmm. written some sort of, whether it would have been a memoir or some In like some a, ways, I think it's actually easier, and yeah. at least in mm-hmm. terms of finding a publisher. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, I think, and even down the road, there's still a story there that's continuing sure. to develop. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, I've read some story. of your blog, I don't know if they're blog posts or whatever they mm-hmm. are, but they're really beautiful and super interesting. I would be interested to read Thanks. more. Yeah. So, yeah, that could happen down the road. Yeah. There's actually a whole other story there um, with my family that has developed since I've written this book. But um, I, I, as I did that, I just thought, I need to fictionalize this. This isn't as... There wasn't anything super gripping or dramatic. Right. You know, it was a very... Um, it, it was it was dramatic in that it was, it was they had lived through Chinese history, but mm-hmm. so had everyone else in China. Right, right. But, um, but at some point, don't you come to the conclusion that every story is dramatic? Yeah, I, mean, I it, think depending on how it's written and how it's framed, right. I absolutely. mean, that's, that's that's yeah. You find the arc, but I mean, every story is worth telling. Right, right. And so I think what I I also though at the same time was learning my own voice, and I and I felt like. I knew that I tended to write in a more lyrical voice, and I, at the time, again, being naive, thought, oh, I can't write. Nonfiction has to be very um, linear, very direct, very, you know, true to whatever that truth, like, more reported. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't, I didn't have the training to understand that that's not true, um, and that one can write in a voice that um, may be more poetic or lyrical, but could be nonfiction. So I ended up going down the fiction road, and then um, that took... Uh-huh. How long? From the Fulbright, the yeah. end of the Fulbright, to the year my book was published was 10 years. That's 10 years. pretty normal, that's about, yeah. I think. Yeah. So how did you learn to write a novel? I mean, well, so then I that's went, a big deal. I was actually living in L.A., speaking of Southern California. So I went back to L.A., and I was taking um, extension school classes at UCLA, which were great. Yeah. You know, the sort of those, those really just novel... Mm-hmm. They were like novel three, novel four. Novel and, and during this so time, are, are you publishing Huffington Post, Washington Wall Street um, Journal? That came a little bit later uh, as I started realizing I could write, you know, free, I could freelance and what that world looked like and pitching and all of that. Now I'm going to back up here for just a second <laughs> just to, to piggyback over something we talked about during the intro, that when you hang out at the grotto, you see people and you talk about lunch and bills and stuff. And then you realize they're Fulbright scholars. And and what just stood out to me was you talking about applying for the Fulbright scholarship and thinking, oh my God, people have to see my writing. Right. Like we, down here, we assume that people who get Fulbright scholarships go, here I am, please give me my Fulbright scholarship. It doesn't occur to us that they're thinking, oh geez, what if, it's, what if my writing sucks? 
Are you, we all always? You actually, that's the point where you're applying for a Fulbright scholarship, and you're still thinking, "Oh boy, what if my writing sucks?" Oh gosh, every time I send anything, I'm constantly me too. That. Oh my god, me too. Even emails. I'm little, like, oh, I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> a little uh, glimpse into the highly the free flowing anxiety, minds of writers. Yes. I, I do think, though, that that extension course. Um, thing is mm. a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's one that's overlooked by people. Like, I have to go get an MFA. Right. And oh, yeah, yeah. So not. many excellent teachers, yeah. so much mm-hmm. good, um, you know, community mm-hmm. connection, instruction is available in those places. Really worth looking into. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I mean, I think it's such a useful tool to to investigate whether or not you really want to exactly. go that route. I, my first mentor I met through NYU Extension. And huh. it, yeah, and it was the, it almost exactly the same mm-hmm. thing. Just, can I do this? What is it? Right. I think it's a great thing. A lot of grotto folks teach. Yes, I was, yeah, just going to mm-hmm. say. Berkeley and Stanford of, Extension. Uh, so what Those are did two different bring things. you to mm-hmm. L.A. then? Oh, um, weather. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, we went after we came back. So my then boyfriend, now husband, um, and I were living in China, and then we came back to the states and didn't want to be on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And we looked, and we were just kind of you know looking for jobs, figuring that out. And that was it's not a good, really boring story. <laughs> we who've lived in California for too long forget how people on the East Coast feel about it. Right. Like, oh my God, it's 75 degrees (laughs) in March. I love it. You love California? I love San Francisco. Oh, you can have it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard. Well, so uh, two things. So you are beginning to, let's say, dabble. I know it doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. that, but you're doing this thing and your partner, now husband, is obviously supportive Mm -hmm. of you doing that, which is something that can't be understated. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a huge thing. I think, you know, um, John Gardner in his book, what is the, what is his famous book about? Moral on, fiction? No, the other one, on being a novelist. On oh, yes, yes. He says, you have to find a partner who right, supports right. your writing. And I know that sounds so bad, but you know what? It's really important. Well, and it's multifaceted, too, supports and... Well, yeah. both things are right. Yeah. Both right. Are. Well, you have to find if you and if you don't, you know, have a partner, then you have to find a way. Whether you have a mentor, right? Or Support is, somewhere I mean, for sure. Who's kind of got your back? Right. It's right. it's right. huge. So you, he gets it. He speaks Chinese, obviously, mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay, no. he's lived there. Mm-hmm. He understands that you'd be writing a story mm-hmm. like this. But when you go out with the book and you're like this blonde girl. In L.A., how did that go over at first? Because, I mean, can you say a little bit about the book? I don't want mm-hmm. to say anything myself. I don't want to give mm-hmm. away anything right. incidentally. So, you know, how do you how do you describe it and how was it for you bringing it out? Um, I think the way that I always describe it is I always start with the fact that it is um, built as a fictionalized inherited text. It sounds really heady and yeah. really complicated, but it's really not. It's just that in there's a character, right, who's a translator who... Right, but it. It, but until <laughs> go for it. you're pointing, you must have something to say. Uh, until I heard your explanation and and your experience with the Fulbright, I thought, why did she choose this incredibly complex structure? Uh, uh. But now it makes is, total sense. Yeah, right. a, a, a tale within a tale Correct. is an old story. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are there are tropes in China as exactly. well. I mean, there, are, um, there's, there are a lot of frame narratives in Chinese history, too. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, it's a very small it's, table. Yeah, it's not tight at all in here. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I wanted to... I, I didn't ever want to remove the American character and perspective, and I wanted it to be very clear to the reader that this was framed 
uh, or rather, you know, that, that their experience of the read would inevitably be influenced by the fact that the writer of the book, me, mm-hmm. um, is not Chinese. Right. Um, and that what, and what does that mean? And so that was really and the biggest challenge that I had in the book was not like some of the stories or the, you know, the characters or um, kind of how to even plot that, but rather how to structure the book to show that that's a huge part of, mm-hmm. of, of the read and of the story in general. So how many different directions did you go before arriving at this one? Before, let's see, wait, what year was that? I was pregnant. Okay, so two years ago, a little over two years ago, the book had about 90,000 additional words. Oh, so my this God. Current draft. I feel so like I'm in a face. I know. <laughs> it, is, it was its own book, and it wow. was this entire story of the American character, and it kind of went forward, actually. It had... It was complicated. There was this whole other layer in story, which really was its own book. And then... <laughs> Still could be a book? Um, okay. I don't want to write that okay. book. Was yeah, it ultimately <laughs> useful for you, though? Yes. So what happened was, well, <laughs> I also lost my agent because of it. Because <laughs> of your extra book? Yeah. Oh, I can picture that. I yeah. can picture it. So I, um, I had this other piece of the book. And so what had happened was we'd gone out with an earlier draft of the book a few years before and um, was getting like, you know, some warm reception, but we did like one round of sending to editors and I just felt like I wasn't done. I wasn't Mm -hmm. ready to like let it go Mm -hmm. yet. So I said, let's stop. I want to spend some time on it. I spent two years (laughs) writing these 90,000 words Um, and and then sent it back to my agent and he said, um, this is just editorially, I can't help you with this at this point. He also does a lot of nonfiction work. So Mm -hmm. I think it it had really become like this heavy fictional book. So I um, cried and I went for a walk and I was like five months pregnant and I listened to Joni Mitchell. Great timing. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I don't have an agent. What am I doing? I don't have an agent now. Because you know how it is. It's like there's all these little pieces that feel like you have to have them. And when you don't know how it is. And it takes so long to find an agent. (laughs) And there's always a time when you're creating these things where you're like, screw it. I give up. Right. I'm done. And and also it's like once you get the agent, you're like, okay, it's done. I got an agent. That's that's even Everyone always says that's even harder than getting published. No, it's not. <laughs> and then you get published. <laughs> I mean, I know people who've gotten publishing contracts and then the book never comes out. I mean, Me too. In its own. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So that was... Um, For the record, Bridget was just pointing to herself. Yeah. It sucks, man. And I've cried a many a yeah. walk. Yeah. You know, but you got to hang in and there. And then I just... I it, I had a residency a couple, about a month after that. And so I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to just dig in and say, look, I'm Tear apart pregnant and yeah. I like... I'm going to have to deal with this. Um, yeah, so I did. That seems like an insurmountable task. Uh, cut I cut 90,000 words from your book. I cut, well, I cut 75, I think, of them at the end and, and then use that narrative to mm-hmm. become part of that frame yeah. story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that piece was so, you know, I had to write that. Who were your readers? I, I, I mean, not by name, but did you have a good group of readers that you trusted? Yeah, um, I had you know friends just kind of throughout the, the, the all those years of different writing communities, writing conferences mm-hmm. and residencies, and I had a few who were reading it. But honestly, by that point, I actually don't think anyone really. I was sort of like, once I cut it, and once I found that like 
structure that I knew was I didn't want anyone. I didn't really want anyone. So to talk basically, to me about it. you did that and you went, uh huh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's it. I'm done. Yep, yeah. I love it. And yes. then did you find an agent after that? Sorry. New agent. I yeah. found a publisher and then I oh, So that's what, I, that's that's what I'm asking because right I remember there. this yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So say, say something. So I started sending to agents. And again, it's such a slow process <sighs> because it's, you know, it's a dance of like, oh, send me the first 50. Meanwhile, you're having a baby. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'd had a baby. Yeah. Which we're um, going to get to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so then I, uh, I, I started investigating in independent smaller presses because I, I knew that the book was quite experimental, you know, the structure um, and, and just the way that it's written. And I thought, well, you know, a lot of the feedback I was getting even from agents was like, well, this isn't very commercial or it's, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit more unconventional. And I don't know how, you know, publishers will respond to this. So I was like, okay, I'll just look up, find out you know, who are the best yep. indie presses. Um, what was your what, criteria? Um, you know, looking at their lists and reading, mm-hmm. um, you know, more about their authors, what their authors are writing about, what their books. I picked up some books um, and read them and thought, yeah, I, I really like this is a great book. I would love to be published by a publisher who publishes this book. So um, started sending out the book and then really quickly got a response from the publisher that I went with, which was Ig that they had started reading it. They were really excited and basically kind of just being like, I just want you to know this. We haven't finished yet. We can't tell you yet. But but putting you on notice in case somebody else came exactly, back to you. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so then it was like, oh, well, I guess do I need an agent or not to move forward? And so then I had to kind of go back to the agenting list. And, That's and very forward. smart rather than thinking, oh, I can just do it myself and I'll make more money. Well, I could have. Is it really smart? I think so. Oh my God. It's just there's so much that goes into yeah. it that I didn't, I wanted to feel like I had someone who knew that process. And otherwise, you still have to pay. You would have to right. pay a lawyer or right. someone. Someone and has so you, to bet the contract. Yeah, it's just, and also then you have a person between you and your publisher a mm-hmm, little bit, so mm-hmm. you don't have to say the hard things or mm-hmm. hear the hard right, things sometimes. Right, right, and negotiate. I mean, there was yeah. no way I was going to be able to do that. So, yeah. so I did end up. So that was a back, very backwards process, but but it seems to make sense. I'm sure you didn't have trouble finding an agent the second time when you said the book's already been accepted for publication. Right. Want to be my agent? Well, so now I'm still with my, so the agent who represented me on this book, I'm, you know, hopefully staying with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the book came out and Mm -hmm. it got shortlisted for the Center for Fiction Mm -hmm. uh, first novel prize. Was that a total surprise? Total surprise. Was that the best (laughs) thing ever? It was because um, it was just a couple months after it came out, right? So honestly, just being longlisted was like, whoa, wait, what? People are reading this, <laughs> right? <laughs> now that is a trip, right? Um, that was, actually works in the well world. because also your publisher sends these yeah. things to yeah. to Everybody. the bigger awards, yeah. and and so I didn't even know. I mean, I'd seen it in the past, but it wasn't something that was on my agenda. And, and how does that ramp up the experience? It just. You know, does it I, have really? You, you have to see the look of transformative joy on your face. No, I mean, I think <laughs> you're. Well, no, I'm actually laughing inside because what I think is so funny about awards. Yeah, let's really get to this. This this makes. Ooh. Yeah, we're gonna really get yeah, now. Social commentary but, here. Okay, so yeah, so it was longlisted and then it was shortlisted and then I was like, what the? Like, really? Yay. Anyway. That surprising, and yes. but also funny because, I mean, I didn't get a Kirkus review. I know, like, like yep. th- I, no one would review the book, and right. so it's just I find it so funny because I was saying to my husband, it's like the book is the exact same book, but now people are like, hey. oh, do I have to read this? It's like what? 
Yeah. I mean, just yeah. gatekeepers and yeah. industry. Yeah. That, you that's know. why you need awards. I mean, yeah. that's that's the satisfaction. I think not that I have any awards, but the satisfaction <laughs> of that is is uh, you know they see me. But it's also so. I think what I like from my perspective, and I think is important to remember as a writer, as anyone, is that it's so subjective and it's yes. so random. I mean, it's yeah, like but it can't help but be validating. I mean, it's but that is still. Okay. But I do think it feels fantastic. I'm sure. Yeah. But but it is really important to hear that. That that. But it's also sort of like it makes me. It just makes me laugh because it's yeah. like these people, those people, those people. Right, like it's right. just so. Right. It's not that it's. I know it's not that it's random, and you do just have to keep going out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere if you're not just continuing to do the work constantly and put it out there but it just feels it's just for me it's like it's more of like ha, 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 ha that's funny i don't i don't know if that's that's a really silly about, way of framing it what but about just, real impact no, awesome. on sales and, the, and now you're getting more reviews right um yeah so i'm just you know people more random things are happening mm-hmm. of like oh do you want to come to this festival but it's or, not random you know that's a, yeah, no it's not, not. Yeah. you're seeing it somewhere but yeah. it just still again it's still to me it's like it's the same book yeah. Change. Right. Nothing yeah. change. Yeah. Hey man, just enjoy I know. It. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Don't question. Don't be so suspicious. <laughs> but I know what you're saying I, because it, you can feel that way when you have a story, for example, and you send it to 30 places. Right. They all, they all. You don't even get a like a, mm-hmm. try us again. Mm-hmm. No, you get nothing. Just a, a stock rejection, and then a place takes it who's maybe even better than a lot right. of those That's places. All it right. Takes. Right. And and it does feel random's maybe not quite the same word, but you just gotta hang in there. <clears throat> it might not be the work itself. Well, is the what good I think news you're is it's yeah. preparing you for college applications. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. They certainly felt this random. That my kids <laughs> applying to school. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Oh. Speaking of kids, meanwhile, yes, let's. Uh. Meanwhile, as this is all going on, you're having a child. Yes. And you're juggling this. <laughs> yes. Oh, it feels my very literal. God. Yeah. I do have, yeah, a book moly. in one hand. No, literally, yeah. I mean, I was well, and sending out anyone, to agents while she was nursing. You know, I'm like. What is your Instagram handle? Uh, at. Oh God, is it Let's Go Kato? Or is that Let's Go Kato? Okay. Good memory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's your Twitter handle. handle also. Yes. Oh, Instagram? No. Actually, it's at Salamini Author, I think. Or okay. Oh, so like, let's go, Kato. I know. And they're both good. But uh, but it, if like, you're interested, you should follow Caitlin because you can see what it's like to be on book tour with yes. a toddler. <laughs> imagine. Everything you can imagine, that's what it's like. <laughs> so you, son or daughter? Daughter. So you brought her on book tour? Yes. Because I guess you had to. Yes. How, how old is she now? Tw- now she's 22 months. 22 months. Yeah. Yeah, and we were just going to many different places. I mean, it just—I mean, they were in. You were in Scotland. I well, think. so we were. No, so we were. First, I had the West Coast. Yeah, so I did like L.A. here. Hard enough, which is hard Seattle, enough. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. the East Coast a little bit, um, and I then you've already a little bit up the in, sleep schedule. Yeah, yeah. And then a little bit in Europe, which was a weird little which side was like trip. France and Spain right. and and yeah. yeah. Did and your husband go too? Parts of it. Yeah. So I was alone for I was alone for two weeks. Yeah. So in in Europe, I was presenting at a conference. Um, It was a really cool conference called the European Beat Studies Network Conference. And I had found this babysitter in Paris, and I thought, okay, this is good. I only present for an hour, right? So just it's not a big deal. So then the night before, she says, Oh no, I, I didn't tell you I can't do that. Like oh crap! So I write to the host, the man who was presenting me, you know, because I was yeah. giving this talk, and said uh, my childcare fell through. What can I do? And he said, I have a kid. Just bring her. And actually, he and the this president is so of European. the network. Well, they he was American. I think 
The other guy wasn't. Yeah, he was American. Oh, I'm just, so just happy to that. To the, to the event? Just bring her to the conference and bring yeah. her to the panel, and I will occupy her time. Um, they were great. He so and the awesome. president, That's who awesome. had four daughters, th- three to, from age like three to fifteen or something, well, they just yeah. painted, and and she was totally happy. So, so I great. talked in front of an audience of maybe like twenty or thirty people. Did you see her when you were speaking? Kind of, yeah. So like, mm. And then she finally got on my lap and then peed through her diaper. And so <laughs> then I had a huge... Awesome. Or would yeah, by a pants-chilling moment. Very <laughs> bodily. It's just constantly bodily. Yeah. Yes, it it's, is. It's, yeah. just, it's a physical game yeah. at that age. Yeah. It really is very yeah. physical. Then it becomes a mental game. Yeah. I have never been more physically exhausted. Yeah. Huh. That's what I would wonder. Like, how... That's I mean, what I could wonder but, too. But, uh, well, to have a mental and physical thing happening at once. Because hmm. you're talking, speaking right. in front of mm-hmm. people, that's mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. You gotta be sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but you're hard. physically exhausted. Yeah, I was doing a book club Skype event for a friend's book club, and Calliope, my daughter, was sitting on my. She, you know, she was around, so she like climbed on my chest, and I'm on Skype. She starts like she's <sighs> constantly nursing at events. I can talk about that, but she yeah. just kind of oh, like goes to. right in, and then and then I'm still talking because they're asking me questions, and I have to answer them. Yeah. And she, they've been so kind to read my book, and she just starts slapping my chest, saying, "No, Mama, talk." No, Mama. Talk. Which was probably very cute. <laughs> it was. I know, cute, they but love also, it, but like, it's stressful. But man. she's can. Yeah, I think she just feels like my work is talking. Yeah. Kind of well, it is at the moment, yeah. I would guess. So let 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 us do say that was an odd construction, something about <laughs> this, because you've so. been posting pictures of you breastfeeding yeah. different parts of the country, on the book tour, and it's been taken up as a kind of a cause celeb. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's Which is cool. Been, um, you know, I feel like, the, honestly, at the end of the day, speaking of physical exhaustion, it's just it's just a part of my life right now. Yeah. And so I've actually been thinking a lot about children in the world in general, not even just the workplace, but just how much we in specifically Western cultures, and I don't mm-hmm. think you see this. As, I mean, when you go to Asia, for example, you see kids in workplaces, not maybe not white collar workplaces, right. but you do see children right. like at a restaurant or at a store, mm-hmm. like the kids just, or the baby, you know, being nursed while someone is helping you at a, at a shop front or something. And I think that our divorcing of children yep. from everything else becomes so, is why we feel so much pressure as mm-hmm. parents and why we are in, you know, unable. And I also think it, it's self-perpetuating in that it also then, um, I think, leads us to continue to divorce them, you know, whether it's certain like, oh, I have to wean my child, you know, these feelings of pressure in terms of, like, mm-hmm. how much they should grow up so quickly because we can't afford for them not to. Right. It's you just know, you true. better be independent because I can't be there for you constantly. Right. Now, you're you speaking know? very passionately about this. Is yeah. it going to inform your next project? Yes. Yeah. Like us. that segue? Yeah, yeah it was really yeah. good. <laughs> um, so through the process of becoming a mother, which was actually very long fairly long process. It took us a long time to mm. conceive. And um, I I think, I don't know if it's because of that, but I became really invested in um, sort of childbirth and activism and postpartum and, um, you know, sort of what it is to be a mother in the world today. Um, and I've, um, my next book definitely deals with a lot of those topics, most specifically childbirth and midwifery. Um, nonfiction or fiction? Fiction. Fiction. Oh, oh. I told you nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You told me nonfiction. I, I mean, I have never heard this before. Yeah. Just I thought, I just thought that. Well, I 
hope, I mean, I'm hoping to write more, you know, essays and, yeah. and shorter mm-hmm. pieces, yeah. but in terms of this book, um, and it takes place in New England. That was my next question. If it was so interesting. In no, although I think there may be a connection to this Chinese, ancient Chinese myth that sort of overlays, but isn't really. But literal. what you have to say about this is about America. Yes. Not yes. about China. Yes. Well, childbirth in China is its own thing, too. But um, yeah, so it's just sort of really informing the way that I look at the world now. Um, and. And definitely, you know, being out on tour and like exposing your creative work. And then, I mean, I was at a, an event on Sunday and my daughter was at a Barnes and Noble and my husband had her upstairs in the children's section. And she somehow saw me and came running down just as I was about to read yeah. and <laughs> climbed on my lap and just starts nursing because she's of the age that she can do that. And to her, it's like, that's our relationship. Right. It's just, she doesn't understand that you're someone in front no, of other people. No, and yeah. no. And yeah. I was a little mortified at first. And then I thought... I just, I'm not going to fight her in front of an audience and, and have okay. a, And also, where will that lead? I yeah, know. really. Just I like know. huge meltdown. Exactly. That would be the worst <laughs> case scenario. Well, it's, Here's the thing. You're damned if you do and damned yeah, if you don't. Just yeah. want to put that in there. Yeah. But this is interesting to me because, again, I don't want to trivialize motherhood by mm-hmm. saying it's random, <laughs> but it is another sort of random event that chooses mm-hmm. your path for your next creative mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that Chinese class didn't have to be a Chinese mm-hmm. class. Could mm-hmm. have been a Japanese mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. Dad would be happy. Right, right. Uh, but then you seem to be very open to taking inspiration from the things that happened to you. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day as writers, we have to be writing about what whatever questions are just plaguing us. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, you know, for me, China was such a big part of my life and it was what was this thing? What? Why did I have this relationship like this with this family? And what did that mean? And what does it mean to be an American inheriting this kind of colonial, you know, this 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 imperialist project, and and then being in China? And so now, you know, my life is is a different. I'm like the the daily concerns of my life are are different. Um, and Although so, you are raising your daughter speaking Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> There's the white girl yeah, who speaks Chinese. I, <laughs> I figured I couldn't waste it in a sense. No, it's yeah. just, I, especially living here. I mean, you oh, said no, your nanny speaks Mandarin. It's yeah. well, not you can hard to find. Send her to Chinese I know, and there are tons schools. of schools. Yeah. It's, it's Even the Waldorf crazy. School, just in case you're interested. Really? Show you that's a little that's, plug in for the Waldorf the School. You'll notice that. <laughs> Spanish and Mandarin. Oh, oh, there you go. Are they immersion or are they just no. classes? No. Yeah. Interesting. She won't need it because she'll have you. Right, exactly. That's true. Um,. So you're working on this next novel. Yeah. Are you still doing journalism? Oh, I know what you're doing. What are I you doing? Pointing to you again. About. Again, I'm pointing because I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Because uh, we got to get this in under the wire. Oh, um, I know it's hot. we got to get out of here. The hippo reads. Before we die. Yes. Tell us oh, yeah, yeah. about that. I wanted yeah, to get yeah. that in. So a couple years ago, um, I started a company that started off as an academic, or rather as a media platform for academics, because we felt that there was not a more public space for academics to, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to write and to reach a wider audience rather than, you know, an academic Mm -hmm. journal or something that's more specific to their, um, you know, to their academic research. So we did that. And then it kind of spun from there really organically, actually, into, um, providing research and writing for thought leaders. So we work with companies and we tap this academic network to provide thought. What does that mean? What does what the thought leadership? Yeah, thought leaders. So, like a CEO of um, 
a company mm-hmm. uh, wants to write about something that they really know a lot yeah. about, but they don't have the time to like, what is all the research that, what is the I, most recent I piece see, of see, data that's come uh-huh. out on this and how do I digest this so in a it, way that Forbes will want to publish? Is it a touch of ghostwriting? Kind of, but it's more collaborative. I wouldn't say that it's mm, okay. like it's not outsourced in that sense. But did you guys um, call it TED Talks for academics? No, for yeah. So that's the the media portal that we maintain. So which is Hippo Reads mm-hmm. is really that space. Mm. And then through that, we've launched this kind of sister site, which is Hippo Thinks, which is doing the thought leadership. So that's that piece of the business. That's pretty ambitious. Yeah. I mean, we have a good team now. And That's so exciting. Once I had my daughter, I've sort of pulled back mm-hmm. a bit from the more of the day-to-day, but I'm helping to oversee the general development. And That is super cool. It's like my day job. Yeah. yeah <laughs> day day job. Besides raising a child and, yeah. and getting a book out. Tours, oh, my God. I feel like such a loser right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love your Instagram. I just want to say that. And, oh, thanks. Uh, I think, you know, it's very, very cool to see women just being in the world, doing their thing as mothers. Mm. It's I wish I'd had that model mm-hmm. for myself when mm-hmm. my kids were little. Mm-hmm. And awesome. I wish it weren't. I think creatives, because of the flexibility of our right. careers, are able to do that more. And I wish that more traditional careers showed that. Like when you see, who is the woman? There was like a Congress, not even oh, yeah. in the U.S., but it was yeah. like an Italian yeah. representative of sorts, right? Yeah. And she like went to the her. U.N. with her Baby, Baby. yeah. Um, Well, what strikes me, though, too, is that you are able to incorporate everything. There doesn't seem to be a big dividing line between your creative life and your personal mm, life. mm. And you're able to just sort of think of it as one whole holistic thing. And that's the problem with work in America is I think we think of it as there's work right, and there's right, home. Right. And you need work-home well, balance. But right, maybe you right. just need life, life. to be life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually, I think it's going the other way. These companies that offer all this great stuff like Google, it's a yeah. little insidious, you know? Mm. Oh, because like, it creeps into your life. Don't go what home. A- we'll take care of your dry yeah. cleaning. Yeah. Right. You know, here's right. a bike. Ride around for a while. <laughs> don't go home, though. Whatever you do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think like that's nice true. <laughs> Stay here. And take this blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> we are out of time. Oh, and wow, air. You guys are good. They seem to always end simultaneously. I know. Oh my God. Are you so hot? I'm like ready to faint. Yeah. Okay. Oh, all oh, right. Hey. Okay. Hot. Uh, you're just going for the record, set by Todd and Fred. Sweatiest <laughs> 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 guest. Uh, there's no video. Caitlin. No, there's no video. We've talked about your Instagram. Why don't you uh, reiterate for our <laughs> listeners how they can find you on Instagram and Twitter and all oh, that geez. stuff, websites, et cetera. I hope it's that author. So Twitter is at Let's Go Cato. I know that because yes. I just remember yeah. that. Yeah. My reason. website is my, my name, Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-I-N-S-O-L-I-M-I-N-E. Well spelled. Yeah. <laughs> It's So, yeah, I think everything's on there in the the public Instagram account. I do have a private one. Oh, okay. Oh, I follow like, my just like the Oh, teenagers. oops, maybe I shouldn't have spent <laughs> yeah. no, oh. no, there there are nursing pictures on my phone. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Your turn. Oh, my turn. Oh, yes. Okay, you can follow me at BeQuinterest. Quinn has two ends, regardless of what you've heard me say in the past. <laughs> once. Once you misspelled it, you're never going to let yourself forget it. It is very strange <laughs> to, to hear you say something You, you have on the air. website, too, right? Uh, yeah, author.com. And is this the time for me to say? Um, no, no, I can no. Okay, 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 my you turn, go. too. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, I'm done. Bye. Uh, follow me on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram at that Larry Rosen. And as always, if you can't get enough of me, tune into my other podcast, Is It Good for the Jews? at Is It Good for the Jews? <laughs> And how about us here at the Grotto Pod? How can you find us? What if you want to send us an email? How about 
grumpapod at gmail.com. Yeah, nobody emails us. I know. Email us. What if you just want to follow us on Twitter? Then you can just tweet at us at the Grottopod. Or what if you want to go to our website? Grottopod.com. It's all real simple. It's so easy. And what about those producers? We need to thank Lori Ann Doyle, who, by the way, has a new book out, World oh, Gone awesome. Missing, which is excellent. Pick it up. Beth Weingarner and Lee Kravitz, who also has a book, Strange Contagion. So damn good. Oh, and who's? Sugartown. Sugartown. Our music. They're Bye. fabulous. Sugartown. Zoe Fitzgerald Carter. Wraps it up for us. And, of course, we will go out the way we only, the only way we know how, and that is BQ saying... Okay, say this. Read, write, and just keep working. 